Well, after a short break last week, we are going to be back in the book of Habakkuk. And if you're new with us today, that's something that we commonly do is go through books of the Bible unless God's Spirit tells us to do something different. And last week we took a pause so we could be in Psalm 119 uh, just to get a reminder from the Lord of the need for us to feast on the Word of God. So we're back in Habakkuk. We're in chapter 2 and give you a quick recap Habakkuk, whose name actually means to embrace or to hug, and the prayer that I have is that as we work through Habakkuk, that you would feel God's love wrapped around you through the book of Habakkuk. A reminder, Habakkuk is a prophet of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, between 640 and 609 B.C., Now, the northern kingdom, Israel, had already fallen by this point. There were many prophets that prophesied they would fall if they didn't repent, and they did not repent, and so the Assyrians came through and took them out. Now, prophets are continuing to prophesy about the southern kingdom, Judah, that they will fall if they do not repent. So, as we have looked at this book thus far for a few weeks, the first thing that we Uh, covered was this oracle, this burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And the first week we saw Habakkuk's complaint, and ultimately what Habakkuk was saying was, God, I'm looking around, I see your people, and there's all this sin. How long, O Lord, will this last until you do something? You are holy, you need to do something. And God responded, he kind of cut Habakkuk off and said, look among the nations, be astounded, wonder, and amazed. I am doing something great that you would not even believe. And God explained to Habakkuk that he is raising up the Babylonians to come in and destroy Judah and to take the majority of those captive. And again, we said that how does this apply to us today? Well, again, looking around the church, this church in particular, but the church across the United States, across the world, and there's so much evil that still exists, and we're asking God, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to persist? Please purify your church. And He is, and He does. But we also said that it would be similar if, in this church, if we said we cried out and said, God, please remove this evil from around us and inside of us. And God said, don't worry, I am. I'm coming down the street, I'm bringing ISIS to come and kill and capture. So, our response would be something similar to Habakkuk's response, as we saw a few weeks ago, where he says, whoa, whoa, whoa Lord, that's not what I meant. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think you were going to do that. Lord, you're too holy to even see evil. How could you use an evil nation, a nation that is uh, they're more evil than we are. How could you use them to come and judge us? Exercise your discipline. And in the end of chapter 1, we saw that Habakkuk was questioning that, explaining, or asking for an explanation from the Lord, and he said he will stand at his watch post, at his tower, and he will wait for an answer concerning his complaint. And it seems that Habakkuk had made his case, or at least in his mind, Lord, you're holy, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, this can't be right because I don't see it, so I'm going to wait for you after I've made my case. I'm going to wait for you to tell me what you're going to do now. And in one sense, that's a good thing for us to wait 
to hear from the Lord, look to Him from our watch post, from our tower, and wait. But probably not in the spirit that Habakkuk has here. It seems more that he knows what's right. He's told the Lord how it should be, and he's waiting for the response. So then two weeks ago, we were able to look at the Lord's response, and he responded in an interesting way. He began to explain to Habakkuk those who are righteous and those who are not, those who are proud and those who are humble. And we went through the first few verses of chapter 2 and came across the very important verse that the New Testament pulls from many times. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And we looked at what does it mean for us to live by faith. And you remember that we had the sword out and we had Brother Roy up here and having him do these various steps at first without the sword and that was easy to follow. He could see what was going on and he could trust. But then, in covering his eyes and having him do these same steps without knowing why necessarily, we saw how important it was as the gigantic sword uh, went from in front of him to swiping behind him and above his head. But thankfully, he was believing the things that I had told him on the steps to take because he knew that he could trust me, or at least he thought he could. Again, it's by faith, it's a gift from God, it's by faith that we're saved. Kind of like entering into the amusement park, you get your bracelet, and then you go throughout the amusement park buying your food, or getting your food, going on the rides, all because of the same bracelet. The difference is, at the amusement park, you pay for that bracelet with salvation and faith. It's a gift. But at that same faith that saves us is the same faith we live by. And all of it's a gift. So I want to continue today, starting in verse 6 and going through verse 14. And we'll continue to see the Lord's response to Habakkuk and his second complaint. Starting in verse 6, we'll go through this verse by verse verse like we always do. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Now remember the last verse of chapter 5 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. It says, talking about the the prideful man, the Babylonians, he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples, the end of verse 5. And so we saw there that they were coming and by force coming in and taking all the nations for themselves. That's not what the Lord does. Yes, the Lord has a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation that will worship Him in the end as we see in the book of Revelation, but He wins them over with His love. He reveals Himself to the nations in such an incredible way that they look, and I hope you are part of this group who has looked at the Lord and all of His beauty and His splendor, His majesty, and said, yes, I want to follow you. So in verse 6, shall not all these 
meaning those nations that the Babylonians have conquered and done these terrible things to, take up their taunt against him, against the Babylonians, with scoffing and riddles for him and say. Now this gets into this section that's going to have five woes against the Babylonians. Now this isn't the woe like when you're riding a horse and you're saying stop, it's not that, it's not these five stops, but it's woe, W-O-E, these judgments that are coming against the Babylonians. These are, not, uh, these are declarations, if you will. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. When I first looked at this, I thought, wow, what, what do these woes actually mean, these judgments? Something that's interesting in Matthew 23, if you can quickly turn to Matthew 23... Jesus actually has a section where he says some woes of his own. Seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And this whole section, he's explaining about to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and to the people how they are hypocrites. In particular, I want to share with you verses 25, 26, 27, and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like a whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus does not hold back, especially when he's talking to religious people, not people who practice true religion, which is helping the widows and the orphans and such, but those who try to look good on the outside, try to do these religious tasks to impress everybody else and earn their way to God. It's the ultimate Example of pride. We think high enough of ourselves and low enough of God's holiness that we think that we can actually, through works of the law, Sunday school, helping others, giving to the poor, attending worship services, giving money, whatever it is, we think that that's going to do enough to save us. Now, those things are good as long as they're flowing from a heart that's been renewed and they are not so that God will love you, but because He already does in Christ Jesus, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But the second that we think with by our good works that we're going to somehow work our way to heaven, somehow please God, He's got to take us in. We've missed the point. The scribes and the Pharisees wanted to look good and on the, this show they had on the outside. And I'm afraid that many of you here have the same mentality. With today being Father's Day and everything, I want to show you this, this cup here that, uh, as you can see, it's nice and white and clean. Yes, I am a, a husband and a father that does the dishes. Yes, I do the dishes and I sometimes clean them by hand, but mostly I admit I load the dishwasher. But as you can see with this cup, it is, it is sparkling clean. 
Looks good, doesn't it? What's interesting is I'll take it out and say, yeah, that looks good, and I'll put it in the cabinet. And then, usually later that day or the next day, my lovely wife, Heather, who is here today and has a suspicious look on her face at this moment. I love you. She'll come to me and say, hey, honey, I love you. Thank you for loading the dishwasher. But, and that's what I get concerned when I hear, but did you, uh, did you scrub the inside of the, the cup before you put it in there? And um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I ran some, some water over in it, yeah, mm-hmm. And then, as you can see, the inside of the cup is nasty. Coffee sitting in it. Outside looks great, but inside is nasty. And if you were to come over to the house, that's not the coffee mug you'd want to drink from because it's inside is what matters. And that's what Jesus is saying with these woes. And so I want us to keep that in mind because, again, as we go through this, I mean, this is going to be a challenge for us to go through this passage of Habakkuk with these five woes because, again, these are woes that are coming to the Babylonians. These are the the, the woes that are saying, oh, the Lord is going to do these things to them. He's going to judge them in these ways, and here's the reasons why. But I wonder if, as we look through these woes, if we're focused today, if we can do some some hard work today, I wonder if we can at least learn from these things and check in our own lives where we may be similar to the Babylonians and perhaps maybe learn from them and do the opposite. So as we work through this, these woes, let's keep that in mind. We're going to work through three of the woes today, and then next week we'll work through the remaining two. Again, back in verse 6 now. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. What's going on here? Well, it seems that the Babylonians were coming in and they were taking things that were not their own. That makes sense. They're going into these different nations, these different cities, and they're taking things that did not belong to them. And even when they would come, they would make these deals, it seems at times, where they would make pledges. Well, if you surrender then we won't destroy everything, or we won't take these things, or we'll give you this type of freedom. But what's interesting is they would not keep their word. They were takers. They would pretend to be something that they're not. They would not be content, as we saw in the previous section, with what they had. Like death, they constantly wanted more, and so they would take it from others. That's what the Babylonians were doing. So I wonder if any of this speaks to us. Are we a people who take things that are not our own? Do we make promises, pledges to get what we want 
take loans, borrow things, I don't know. Borrow things from other people, don't return them, maybe. Take loans to get things that we want, especially if these, these things make us look important or good. Maybe I have the money to shop at a thrift store, I don't know, Walmart, Target, that's the clothes that I can afford, but I'm going to use the credit card to get something nicer so that way I look good. I don't know exactly what this looks like in your life. But in any way, shape, or form, do you heap up things that do not belong to you? Do you make pledges that you do not follow through on? Are you a taker like the Babylonians? Churches are full of takers. The old 80-20 rule. 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. 80% do 20%. I don't know if that's exactly right, but I'd say there's some truth to that here. Some of you are takers. You don't serve. You don't give. You just come get what you want out of things, and leave. That's a problem. We are not to be a people. We are not to be a church of takers. We want to be those who give. Give to one another. Give with a joyful heart. Yes, this is financially, but this is our time, our gifts, our talents. We want to be a people, a church known as a giving church. Some of you have been doing a great job at this. Some of you may need to check your hearts. So specifically with the Babylonians, verse 7, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What goes around comes around is the idea here. The Babylonians have done these things to other nations, and soon the Lord is saying it will happen to them. This is a prophecy. We end up seeing Judah falls in 586. It's a little bit debated. Again, Habakkuk written 640 to 609, somewhere in there. Judah ends up falling around 586. The Babylonians end up falling in 539. What's interesting is the way they fall. I love this, and we'll talk about it more later. The way the Babylonians fell, they had this great city that was strong at every point. You couldn't get in to attack them. It was strong at every point except where the river came in. But it was a river. They didn't have to worry. What ends up being interesting about that is the Medo-Persian Empire figured out a way to hit the Babylonians. And again, the Lord ordains all this. They ended up clogging up the river so they could march right down the riverbed, historians say, and go straight into the city an attack at its weakest point. Now again, this is something outside of Scripture, but it is interesting that the, the fall of the Babylonians, 
again, they had great pride in who they were and their weapons and all these things, but yet they still fell. I do have a question, brothers and sisters. Where's your weak point? Speaking spiritually here, where does Satan attack you? Where do you think, oh, I've got everything figured out. I've, I know that sin. I, I've covered that one. Or this sin. Well, I, I struggle with it some, but I've got it under control. Remember, Satan knows your weaknesses. And he will attack when you least expect it and when you're not ready and in an area where you're most vulnerable. The Lord is saying this will happen to the Babylonians. Something we can pull is we need to watch our lives. The first woe, again, heaping up what's not our own, being takers, never satisfied, making pledges and not fulfilling them. May we be a people of givers who give all that we have to others for the sake of the gospel. Second woe, verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high and to be safe from the reach of harm. Interesting woe here. Again, it talks about gain. The ideas of being safe, out of harm, nest on high, those things are not bad trying to strive for that, but the idea of the evil gain. I wonder, though, if they just thought they were so impressive, they set their nest on high, safe from out of the reach of harm. We're good. Again, like I just said, they thought they were until they were destroyed. Remember, there's no human being, no kingdom, no dynasty that's impressive to God. And certainly, can you imagine what it looks like for angels and demons to watch human beings when we have no control over life or death or anything like that? We are made from the dust. And how important we think we are. How prideful we are. Can you imagine how the angels must watch? The demons must watch? The Babylonians thought for sure they were safe. But they were not. Verse 10 is interesting as it's talking about this woe. This is part of this evil gain and how this happened. And I think this part may be helpful for us. Verse 10, You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have fortified your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. What's interesting is part of how they had this evil gain, and they made themselves safe, is they cut off other people. They cut off the nations, they cut off those against them, they cut off those around them, and they fortified their lives. I wonder if we do the same thing. I wonder if we cut off our lives to others in this church, in our community, so we can be safe, that our nest would be high. I think Scripture says that we're to be giving and open, open with one another, 
living life with one another, pouring out our lives as Paul talks about, pouring out our lives for the gospel, not cutting others off. Brothers and sisters, we have to continue to learn how to trust one another. We have to learn how to be trustworthy. We have to learn to assume the best about one another until we see something different. We have to learn to check the log in our own eye before the speck in others. We have to learn to go to the individuals when we have issues, and we have to learn how to stop the gossip and backbiting. All these things cut people off from us, and we fortify our lives where really our lives should be just poured out for one another in love and for the gospel. May we not be like the Babylonians. It's interesting that verse 11, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. If you remember in the book of James when we were there, it talked about the judgment and those who are rich had all this stuff and it was actually their stuff that will testify against them. Like in the court of law, these things before God will testify, you had all these things and you should have been a blessing with these things, but instead you use people to get stuff instead of using your stuff to bless people. And the same idea here, the stone from the wall, the beams will cry out against the Babylonians for cutting off many peoples for their evil gain. I pray that's not true of you. Into verse 12, the last woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? This one was a little hard. I started thinking, you know, how many of you in here, maybe show of hands, how many of you have built a town with blood or a city on iniquity that you're aware of? Yeah. Again, the Babylonians were doing this. And I think maybe something we could say is, woe to him or her who builds a town, a business, a church, a life, a reputation, at the expense of others and founds a city on sin or sinful ways. Maybe, because that's ultimately what this can be saying is that this expense of others of how we could possibly apply it to us. Yes, again, the Babylonians going, Babylonians going in, sinful, destroying, killing, capturing. But I wonder with how much hate and manipulation and gossip and hurt have we built our own reputations, our own church, our own towns, our own kingdoms. May we not be like the Babylonians. May we be those who build churches and towns and reputations on truth and grace and love. Verse 13, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? When I first read this, I said, Huh? But thankfully, one of the blessings of Scripture being living and active 
is Scripture helps us to interpret Scripture. So if you're able to quickly turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 51, and we have some of the same language. Now again, Jeremiah was a prophet around the same time as Habakkuk. And so in 51, 58, as Jeremiah is prophesying here, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground. So we know who he's talking about, the Babylonians. And her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. Again, part of this prophecy of what God is saying to Habakkuk, this judgment, this woe will come true, and their walls that were crying against them will be crushed, and there will be nothing but destruction and fire. It is from the Lord of hosts that this happens, just like the Lord of hosts has allowed the Babylonians to take over Judah. He also orchestrates for them to be destroyed. Last verse for today, almost done. Verse 14, it's interesting how this is just dropped in here, it feels like at times, as you're working through these woes. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our memory verse. Again, I thought, why is this in here? What is this saying? If you're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 9, you get some insight, but I'm going to read more than just verse 9. Listen to this. Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Real quick, Jesse was important because he's the father of David. Who was Jesse's father? Remember, we went through the book of Ruth together, talked a little bit about these genealogies and why it was important. Obed. And who was Obed's father, Boaz. Do you remember how God used Boaz and He used Ruth to continue this line? Ruth the Moabite, who was not even one of His people, He brought in to be one of His children, followers. He orchestrated this whole plan with His sovereignty. It brought about The line could continue. Boaz has Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse has David. And so on all the way down to Christ. Verse 1 again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So there's going to come someone from the line of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit and counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what he what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be a belt of his waist, and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. You know what this is talking about? Jesus. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, 
the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled or shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Peace is coming. There has been great destruction throughout time, including what the Babylonians were doing and what was going to be done to them. Many things based upon lies and the opposite of how lives should be lived. What Habakkuk is hearing here from the Lord, right in the middle of this, is even though this destruction is happening, remember that peace is coming. In your lives, even though right now it feels like destruction is coming or is here, death, sickness, sin, betrayal. We look around our nation and things just seem to get worse worse and worse. Hold on to this truth, friends. A day is coming when everything will be at peace. What's interesting is Ephesians actually talks about Jesus as He is our peace. Friend, I don't know if you know the Lord, if you have this eternal peace that we're talking about, but our prayer is that today you would. That you would cry out and ask that the God of all peace would give you peace through Jesus with His sinless life, which made Him this Lamb that could be the perfect sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. How He died on the cross and His blood was poured out. And after three days, after He had died, He rose, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Our prayer is that you would believe that today. Because there's a day coming where all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And part of what we're doing now is we proclaim this knowledge, this truth as as often as we can because there are people here in Cedar Key who still don't know this truth. There are people in Levy County, in Florida, in the United States, and across this world who still need to hear this truth and maybe some in here today. Remember our cup from the beginning. Don't be someone that on the outside is clean and polished. But rather be one who is new inside. Look at this second mug I have for you. Clean and polished on the outside. And look, clean and polished on the inside. But let me share something with you, friends. This isn't actually reality either. Not in this life. Certainly one day we'll be like this mug. Clean on the inside. Clean on the outside. No more sin around at all. But this third mug, a little bit of 
dirt on the outside still, but on the inside clean. If you cry out to God, or you have, then you are cleaned on the inside. You are made new. You are given a new heart. You understand this knowledge of the Lord. But let me encourage you, do not try to pretend like everything is perfect and you have no sin. That's still trying to be religious and put on a show. But rather, like this mug with a little bit of dirt, yes, we confess our sins to one another, confess our sins to God. He's faithful to forgive us. And we keep hopefully getting cleaner and cleaner, if you will, with this mug. But we still are all a mess. You're a mess. I'm a mess. We still have sin. We still have to confess sin. We still need to repent of sin. We still need to keep moving forward until the day that there's no more sin around. Which cup are you today? If you're the one that's still dirty inside, cry out to Jesus. Don't be like the Babylonians. Who constantly desire more. Jesus will give you all that you need. Don't be like the Babylonians who want to, at the expense of others, get what they need, what they want. Follow Jesus. He'll give you everything you need so you can pour yourself out for others. Perhaps you're the, the cup here that you're cleaned and new, but you're always putting on the show that you've got it perfect. Or you think maybe that you are better than others. Let's be real and let's be honest. We're not. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all working together. We're all working through this. Let's move forward together. Be honest about who you are, where you're at, and let's work on it. And maybe you're at a place right now where you know that you're a believer and you know you have sin. We'll keep confessing that sin and keep moving forward and be encouragement to one another. Next week we're going to look at the last two woes. I'd encourage you to keep reading through this and let's continue to do our part until the day that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's continue to make that knowledge known to one another because we need to be reminded of it and to those who've never heard. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the great God that you are. We thank you that you are a perfect heavenly Father and we thank you for those fathers Lord, that try to reflect a part of your character, a part of who you are. Lord, we know we fail. You're the only perfect Father, but we do thank you for the gift that fathers are. Pray that more fathers would be godly and follow you and lead their families well. But Lord, we thank you for this time. I pray you'd work in our hearts, bring others here who are listening who do not know you. We pray that they would cry out to you For those of us who already know you, but Lord, we, we're struggling with things. Lord, whether that's trying to put on the show, help us to repent of that. Lord, or if it's sin that we have, help us to repent, help us to confess, help us to move forward. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.